All right, well, please turn back in your Bibles, if you're not still there, to 1 Corinthians 16. And you say, well, we've almost made it. One more sermon to go, right? We've been working on and uh, on and off through three different sermon series to get through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this journey actually started before I was your pastor. On April 29th, I looked it up, April 29th, 2018, and you invited me back. That's good. Uh, about a month later in May, another after another visit, you extended the call. And then in June, the Molyneux family came up again, and a one-off sermon that had taken place from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, turned into the first of three sermon series. Uh, we've been in other books since then at different times, but after now almost two and a half years, here we are. I'm kind of excited about it. To be able to finish this book, to be uh, finishing an, an entire book of the Bible together. I do pray that it's been an encouragement to you, an encouragement in your growth, as we've studied together and sought how we can be growing and changing individually, but also together as a church, according to the truth of God's word. And just as a reminder, as we get ready to look at this final chapter today, chapter 13 uh, serves as the high point of this letter, the climax of this letter. And if you just turn back a few pages with me, I want to read again chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. Uh, just to put it back in our minds as, as we think about this book as a whole and proceed to this final chapter. So chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even, I has, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So in a, in a perhaps very straightforward way, we could summarize the overall argument of Paul's letter to the church uh, with three major themes. Number one would be, God's perfect wisdom and powerful love displayed in the gospel and how that permeates every other thing we do. All we have is Christ. Uh, number two is simply this, get over yourselves and grow up. <laughs> That's theme two. I said it straightforward, right? Get over yourselves and grow up. Give up your childish ways. And then three, love. Love. Love God and love one another. In the first couple chapters of the book, uh, Paul told the church not to pick their favorite preachers and teachers to get divided uh, by making up these silly camps, the Paul camp, the Apollos camp, etc. Uh, because who their favorite teacher was, was nowhere near as relevant as the power and wisdom of God being displayed in the gospel. And, and it was the message of the gospel that had saved them, that they believed in, regardless of who shared it. To value the preacher more than the message itself 
or the God who made it happen. It was foolishness. It is foolishness. Paul reminded the church that even though he was an apostle, uh, he, uh, and therefore we could conclude, the rest of us as well, should be regarded as servants and stewards of the gospel message. Many in the church seem to have a desire for gain and respect. They wanted gain for them. They wanted respect for them. And Paul reminded them that uh, in the world, and even sometimes in the church, he, Paul, was considered a fool. He was called weak. Uh, He at times had been without simple things like food and water, good clothing, a nice house. And yet he labored on. And then you might remember the apostle instructed the church to no longer ignore sin in their midst uh, and to discipline an unrepentant man, to remove him from membership because followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And unrepentant sinners are not following Jesus. Churches are made up of sinners, aren't they? Uh, Lest we think too highly of ourselves. I've heard somebody say this before. If you feel like you don't belong here, don't worry, you can sit here with all the hypocrites and backbiters, right? We're all sinners, but we are to be repentant sinners, okay? Forgiven sinners who together are now fervently pursuing Christ-likeness. That's who we are. Paul told the church to stop suing each other in court, uh, to flee sexual immorality, uh, that sex was for marriage, the husband for his wife, and the wife for her husband. He encouraged them to think about both marriage and singleness as ways to please God and love people, as opposed to trying to find their ways out of or around what God had given and as he designed. Or even to use marriage or divorce or singleness as ways to get things for themselves. The Apostle Paul answered questions about what kinds of meat they were allowed to eat and how much involvement they should have in local idolatry of all things in the city. He answered questions about the roles of men and women in the church, uh, told them to make sure they shared appropriately during communion, and ensured they were thinking rightly about spiritual gifts. He even dealt with a worldly philosophy they'd been unable to shake from their minds that was leading them down the dangerous path of even denying the resurrection of Christ. Over and over again throughout this book, it seemed the church had this mentality of, What can I have? What can I gain? How can I enjoy this more? What pleases me the most? And the way they went about answering these questions was, how do I feel about this? What have I always thought about this? What seems right to me? What does my heart say? And wouldn't you know, with that kind of thinking and the actions that followed, everything got all out of whack. It was a mess. A lot of bad stuff was done. A lot of people were hurt. And there was division. There was division in the church. And to all this, God's word through the Apostle Paul has responded with this. Get over yourselves. Grow up. Combat the knowledge of the world that has filled up your minds and your hearts. Combat that knowledge with a right knowledge of truth, the knowledge of God. We saw that in chapter 15. And love one another. Love one another. We're going to put off uh, your selfish, immature, vain thinking and actions. 
and we're going to put on the love of Christ, always abounding in the always fruitful work of the Lord that's never vain. And Paul reiterates this as this letter concludes. So go ahead, go back to chapter 16. And first we're going to read verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14 say, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. These two verses kind of sum up the whole instruction of the book. And they also set the stage for this final chapter. So so this is what we're going to do today. Uh, First, let's look at our charge to love and our biblical motivation to do it. Why? Second, we're going we're gonna to see these final instructions in chapter 16. To love one another in our giving, verses 1 through 4, in our uh, receiving and sending of ministry, verses 5 through 12, in our service, verses 15 through 18, and, and through relationships, 19 through 24. And then when we're done with that, last thing, finally, uh, when we've looked through all these verses— I want to finish this letter out by challenging all of us with those four commands from from verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Okay? That's our game plan for today. So, first, let's look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Uh, We could run this uh, right through the rest of this letter and start to make these statements. Uh, Listen to preaching and teaching in love. Servants speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love. Rebuke one another and discipline, if necessary, in love. Uh, Resolve conflicts. Make restitution in love. Pursue purity for one another in love. Look at your marriage or your singleness and work on your relationships in love. Eat with other people in love. Avoid idolatry and evil in love. Not just for you but for others. Be who God made you to be. Fulfill his will and encourage others to do the same in love. Observe the Lord's Supper in love. Use your spiritual gifts in love. Pursue knowledge and truth in love. You get the idea? We could add anything else to that, couldn't we? And what's really sweet about this list and Paul's instruction is is that we could also end every one of these phrases with to the glory of God. Remember the end of chapter 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do to the glory of God, and let all that you do be done in love. So, for example, to use your spiritual gifts in love is to use your spiritual gifts to the glory of God. To pursue knowledge and truth to the glory of God is to pursue knowledge and truth in love for the benefit of others. How cool is that? That works out. (laughs) But remember this too. We have a model. is isn't just a pull pull yourself out by your bootstraps kind of thing. We have a model and we have a motivation for love. And church, our model and our motivation is who? It's Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love. How do we define it? By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. That's our model. 
And then the verse continues with the result, our motivation. It says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. We, as we can, in our function, in our role, replicate the selfless, sacrificial love that Christ gave to us. That's our job. First John 4.19 says, we, we love because he first loved us. This is what we mean when we say that we want to be a gospel-centered, Christ-centered church. Uh, we know and confess that we are sinners, deserving in death, deserving of hell. But God, God loved us first while we were sinners. And Christ obeyed the Father in love and laid down his life for us at the cross, taking the full punishment of our sin on himself. Christ's love for the Father and his love for us pushed out the fear He knew what he was about to endure on the cross. He knew it. And the Bible said he was set. Nothing was stopping him from going to the cross. Love. And by God's grace, we've heard this gospel message. We've received God's gift of salvation and eternal life. We have become the children of God and joint heirs. That's not fair. (laughs) Joint heirs with Christ. And this gospel love fills our hearts. How could an undeserving sinner like me receive such love, such grace? What can I possibly do with this knowledge but share this love with others? Because the Father has loved us, because of that, we love him and we love others. Just like Jesus, or at least more and more like Jesus. But when the gospel goes out of you, when we stop thinking about that, if we start to think that we're pretty special, uh, like God must have been pretty into us to have Jesus die like that, or, or like God's lucky to have us on his team, or like we're better than that other church or those other Christians, when we get stuck in that kind of a mindset, things go south pretty fast, don't they? And scarily, we might not even realize it's happening. Uh, May we, the First Baptist Church, may we never grow tired of hearing the gospel. Seeing people coming to repentance, seeing people saved. And then all of us, may we never tire of seeing one another, encouraging one another to grow in our love for Christ and our walk with him. Now, this gospel-rooted, Christ-centered love is put on display in a few more ways in this final chapter. So let's go ahead and read through uh, this and see what we can find. So first... Loving one another through giving. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, so that's each Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send those uh, whom you accredit. Paul's Paul's not going to take the money himself. The church will send people to ensure its arrival. He says, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, uh, they will accompany me. So so quickly, here are some things that these verses uh, can teach us about giving. First, uh, know this. This giving, uh, instructed to be done by the Apostle Paul, was a special offering. This was an offering that was going to go to the church in Jerusalem. It's a special offering. So this giving was to be done in addition to their regular giving, uh, their regular offerings in the church. Second, 
this giving was to be done as a regular act of worship. Paul instructed them to bring their offerings every Lord's Day, every Sunday, uh, which ties this, this giving to their worship, their worship of Christ. When we give, uh, we aren't just to think about the budget or the missions project, um, as good and necessary as those things are, but above that, whatever we give, we are first giving to the Lord. It's worship. A third, giving is for everyone. Paul said, each of you. Fourth, giving is something we do on purpose. It's something we do on purpose. Paul instructed them to be putting money aside and storing it up. They were saving it up to give. Uh, We can see this and be encouraged to set money aside as we're able, uh, so that when an opportunity arises to love someone through generosity, we're ready. We'll be ready. Fifth, giving is proportionate. Paul did not give a number. There was no universal amount of money that was required. Uh, Each person or each household was to give as he may prosper. Some of us don't have much. We can give a little. Some of us have more, and we can give more. And both would be loving the Lord and those they're helping the same. Which is great. Sixth, I think the statement uh, says this, so that there will be no collecting when I come. If you think about why Paul would have written that to the church, I think that's good wisdom as it pertains to high-pressure giving. Okay, Meaning, we shouldn't do that. (laughs) Paul had no desire to arrive in Corinth and have to make some big push for big dollars. Uh, He he simply is saying, here's the need. Uh, Please be giving toward it in these ways. And when that time comes, we'll have what we have and we'll go. And sometimes there might be things, right, where we need a certain dollar amount for for something. And I think the way that we could apply this in those situations is just to say, when the money's there, when it's been given, then we'll go forward. Then we'll move forward. Okay? No need to lock the doors (laughs) at the church service to preach harder and longer and sing more songs until the plates are full. That's not giving that's rooted in love. We are to do everything in love. Okay? And then seventh. Giving should be handled with accountability. Accountability. Paul had no interest in carrying the money bags. No interest. Um, If we have uh, services ended and nearly everybody's gone, I'm not going to carry our offering boxes back to our accounting room by myself. It's not going to happen. Okay? We want to have accountability. Um, And we're thankful for people in our church who serve us faithfully in the different areas of finance and and that are willing and even eager to do so in ways that are accountable to others. Everybody who serves in our church uh, who does anything with our money, they never work alone. There's always accountability, so we praise the Lord for that. So that's love through giving. Uh, Now let's look at love, uh, loving one another through, and I'm calling this receiving and sending in ministry. Verses 5 through 12. Verse 5 says, I'll visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that uh, you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. Not just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Uh, But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work is open to me. And and there are many adversaries. Okay, so let's just stop here for a second. What we see in these verses is Paul's desire to love people through ministry. And his calling the church at Corinth 
to be loving in being willing to wait because other people need help too. Paul has a desire to spend time with the church in Corinth, but not just for a day or two. He wants to be thorough and truly help them. He says in verse 7, I don't want to uh, see you just now in passing. But God had provided this opportunity in Ephesus. There was minister to do there. He called it a wide door for effective service or effective work. And Paul was working with people. And he was seeing fruit. Uh, the Great Commission was moving forward. And the work needed to continue there. Uh, so the church at Corinth needed to be excited about that. And willing to wait. Excited that another church, that another region was being blessed by the preaching of the gospel. To be pumped about that and okay with the fact that he wasn't there with them. Does that make sense? They needed to have that spirit. If they had said, but Paul's our favorite. Not fair. We want him here now. Do you see that? That's not love. That's not love. In love, they needed to be ready to be joyful in seeing God work, not just in their town, but also in another region. In love, the church could be excited be praying for the church in Ephesus and all the church plants, all the pastoral training that it would, would have been going on and everything else there in Asia Minor. Uh, Acts 19 is where that's all recorded. And maybe the church could even be thinking about how they could pitch in to help, to send help. In love, they could show concern for whatever the adversaries were that Paul spoke of and be trusting and understanding of the need for Paul to remain there. There were adversaries there. They needed, they needed help to navigate that. And, and isn't this amazing too? The adversaries weren't a reason for Paul to say, no, I don't want to do this. The adversaries just made Paul say, this is happening. We're going to do this. That's a good instruction for all of us. Um, difficulties should not keep us from serving. They ought to encourage us to serve. Now, Paul didn't just leave the church at Corinth without help. He didn't leave him hanging. He, he was working on sending someone to minister to the church in their time of need. So uh, pick back up in verse 10. When Timothy comes, Paul says, so that's who he's sending, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, uh, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And then verse 12 says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has opportunity. So do you see what's happening here? Paul's not coming. Not yet. And the church at Corinth may have let out a collective sigh upon hearing that part of the letter. Oh, Paul's not coming. Oh, man. And then Paul encouraged Apollos to go too. They loved Paul. Some of them liked Apollos even better. But Apollos declined to go. Uh, evidently, he also had ministry that needed his attention. So shoot, right? Perhaps the church's two favorite guys. So what does Paul do? He sends Timothy. He sends Timothy. And knowing their history, knowing their tendencies, he tells them. He has to tell them. Put him at ease. Don't make him feel like he's not welcome. Wouldn't that be awesome if you came to a church and were like, I'm so excited to serve today, and the church is like, you're not Paul. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that was wonderful. Paul says, don't do that. Put him at ease. Let no one despise him. Don't give him the I wish Paul was here business. Why? 
Well, Paul says he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Remember Paul said one sows, another waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. It doesn't matter if it's Paul. It doesn't matter if it's Apollos. It doesn't matter if it's Timothy or anyone else. Uh, but Timothy was ready to love them by coming and ministering there and knowing what he was walking into, I'd imagine, right? And he was willing to come and love them. And they needed to be ready to love him, in part by receiving his ministry, gladly receiving his ministry. Uh, now go ahead and jump down to verse 15. This 15. Uh, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus uh, were the first converts in Achaia, and the city of Corinth is in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, uh, because they've made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. This is loving one another through service. Service. We see in verse 15 that the household of Stephanus, and from 17, people like Fortunatus and Achaicus, they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to serving their brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, devoted meaning they served others on purpose. On purpose. And as if under compulsion. That's kind of different from the mentality of, well, I just kind of go through each day, and as something comes, it comes. And No, they did it on purpose. They planned it as if under compulsion. But it wasn't under any kind of bad compulsion. That's kind of how we feel. Like, if you know, there's pressure on me to do this, ew, <laughs> I don't like pressure. But this was a loving compulsion. Their love for God, their love for the church compelled them to serve. And what did Paul say about it? He said, be subject to such as these. Uh, these are the kind of guys that should be your leaders. Remember, whenever churches were planted, we see in the book of Acts that elders were appointed in every one. Uh, men in the church who were given to shepherding and leading the flock. Uh, people like Timothy were sent, and men in the church were given for leadership. And Paul also says this, Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, I think that means that we are all to be subject to one another. All of us subject to one another. All willing to serve one another in love. And also this. How many people in the church at Corinth does it look like Paul's expecting to become a part of this program of service? All. Every one of them. So church, we are all servants of Jesus Christ. And we are all servants of one another. Verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, or we usually see it as Priscilla, same person, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Or today in our culture, a holy handshake. A holy fist bump. During coronavirus, a holy elbow. Or just a wave and a smile, right? Something uh, to grab from these verses. Being a church and loving people. This is going to be a mind blower, okay? 
being a church and loving people requires that we interact with people. Wow. Right? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus together. Together. Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This just means in order to authenticate this letter, uh, to show that it was actually him who wrote it, the way he did that was by signing the end here himself. So he had been dictating it to somebody else. They'd been writing it down, and at the end, when it was time to close it out, he took up the writing utensil himself and finished it off. Okay? Verse 22, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. God is love. Jesus loves. Followers of Jesus love. And then Paul says, Our Lord, come. Our Lord, come. Even so, come, Lord, quickly. Right? And then he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love, verse 24, My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Woo! So, in, uh, we're not done yet. <laughs> but we read the last part of the book, didn't we? So, in all these verses, as Paul wraps up this letter, we hear about Paul, Apollos, Timothy, uh, the household of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus. We see Aquila and Priscilla again, uh, who had been part of the church in Corinth in the past and had moved. And, and now we're in a different place with a church that had met in their house, another group of people. It's all people, right? It's people. A church is made up of people. A church is people. Not a place. Not an event. Church is not a thing you do. It's not a place you go. Church is a group of people with whom you covenant together to follow Jesus. And there are, there are other churches that we might fellowship with or maybe partner together with to, I don't know, send missionaries to Brazil, for instance. Those churches are made up of people too. And these people, so these people, gather together, uh, making up our local church. And right now it's kind of tough, right? Because we have this crowd, and then we have the 11 o'clock crowd, and then we have people who are watching us uh, live streaming with all of this stuff going on. But these people gather together this is the church. This makes up our local church. And what are we, church, supposed to do? Well, love. Love. Our church will not be measured by dollars, uh, by designs, by talents, or any other thing we might think makes a church great or worth our time. God wants us to love him and love one another. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Let all that you do be done in love. And with that in mind, let's look now at these four commands from verse 13. So now we're in the final leg. Verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be watchful. Meaning, be on the alert. Stay awake. Keep your eyes open. Stand firm in the faith, meaning, I uh, remember uh, chapter 15, in Christ you are immovable. Christ has already won the victory. When we put our faith in Christ, we were just welcomed onto the victory side. You are immovable. 
So stand firm. Stand firm. Act like men. And this word is, is like a figure of speech. And part of that word, it's kind of like a compound word. And part of it is the word for man in Greek. That's why it's literally translated act like men. Uh, as a figure of speech, it could mean act courageously. Act courageously. What do men do when children are in distress or when their brides are in distress? They act courageously. Uh, and, but it's just a figure of speech. So it's not just for men, okay? Ladies, you are involved in this as well. Instead of just saying act like men, we could say be an adult. <laughs> be an adult and act courageously. Have courage. And then be strong. Be strong in the faith according to the truth of the word of God. Now, here's a super helpful thing to note from this verse. The first two commands are written originally in the Greek in the active voice. Be watchful. Be on the alert. Keep your eyes out. And then two, stand firm. Hold your ground. Stand your ground. But the third and fourth commands... They weren't written in the active voice. The third is written in what would be, it would be either the middle or the passive, the way that word is in the grammar. The fourth one is definitely in the passive. Active meaning I'm acting on this object. Passive means something's being done to me. Does that make sense? So, act like men, or be an adult, becomes grow up. Or... Let someone help you mature. And be strong becomes be strengthened. Let others build into you. That sometimes feels risky, doesn't it? Let others build into you. Be discipled by others. So let's take a big step back here. What do we have in these, com- in these commands? We are a church, a gathered, a covenanted group of people. And we are here, uh, and we are a church because we have been loved and are being loved by God himself. By his grace, we have been saved. And by his grace, according to his promise, we're growing. And we're going we're to be more and more like Christ. And now God has called us to do what? To grow together. On our own? No. By ourselves? No. Just individually? No. In our own reading chairs, in our corner of our house, or, or with the earbuds in our ears as we listen to the podcasts or watch the, watch the sermon videos? Those things aren't wrong, but those things are not just for you. We're not doing this in isolation. Church, we all need each other to work hard together, to be strengthened, to help each other mature. We all have room to grow. True? We all have room to grow. And there should be those among us, there should be those among us who have been being strengthened, who have been growing up in the faith, who are ready and even eager to build into the lives of others. People who are being watchful, on the lookout, uh, not for themselves so they can make a big stink of something on social media, 
No, being watchful in love. Watching out for others. Standing firm in the faith for the benefit of others in love. Ready and willing to help them grow. To grow up and be men and women of faith. Ready and willing to help others to be strengthened in their walk with God as they learn the truth of His Word. People in our church passionate about the growth of other people in our church. How many of us are to serve? All. You see, when we, when we love each other, and there are people in our church, I believe, who are men and women of faith, we are going to be standing firm and watching out for one another. When we love each other, we're going to be standing firm and watching out for one another. And if you see someone struggling, someone who's not being strong, not being watchful, not being guided in a strong, true knowledge of the word, then in love, you are going to want to strengthen them. Compelled to strengthen them. Go love them. You have the green light. Go help them. And we say this often, don't we? I'm scared. I don't know that I'll say it the right way. I, I don't know if, how they'll respond. We don't even know if we're going to say it right sometimes. I might mess this up. 1 John 4, though, says that perfect love casts out fear. And if you aren't strong enough to help them, then be strengthened by another to do so. If you're not ready to build into others, be built into and grow so you can. Staying dormant is not the answer. Get help. If there's a ministry that's near and dear to your heart, something that you would love to see us doing, maybe you can be the one uh, or one of the people who does it. And if you think, but I can't do that. I can't do that. We need to be doing it. We better get on that. But I can't do that. I'm not the one. Well, be strengthened. Maybe you aren't ready. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be preparing to get ready to serve. What we should be thinking is, I'm not ready to do that equals, I need to get ready to do that. Not, I will just always not be ready. Okay? Not an option for us, church. Because love for one another, love, not because we want to be awesome, not because we want to be superior, not because we want to have everybody in the church looking up to us, but because love for one another will compel us. We will be devoted to love one another, to serve one another. Our mission, church, is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Our vision is to connect people and to see lives transformed by the word of God. And God's decided to use you to accomplish that. All of you. So church, let's be watching out for each other. If you need to, if you need to, if, if you're thinking about where you are and how things are going, if you've been sleeping or getting distracted uh, when you're supposed to be on watch, if you've been treating church like it's just something that's for you or something to do when your weekend isn't maybe too occupied with other stuff, if that's you right now, I want to encourage you, wake up. Wake up. Stand firm. We are all in this race together. We need you. We need you. Christians who are more mature, 
the less mature Christians in our church need you to stand firm. They're watching you. They are. Whether they even realize it or not, they are. They're learning how to live, how to follow Jesus. And whether you signed up for that or not, God signed you up for that. And they're watching you. You're teaching them through your actions. Men, let's be men of faith. Ladies, be women of faith. Get after it. Let's pursue it. Newer believers, uh, less mature believers, uh, kids. And we, we sometimes we confuse being older with being a more mature Christian. And that ought to be how that goes, but sometimes it's not, right? Uh, the, Paul told the church in Corinth, don't despise Timothy. Paul told Timothy, don't despise your youth. Okay? But newer believers, less mature believers, kids, you are going to lead this church someday. The future of this church could be so blessed, so strengthened by your leadership, your service. Grow. Grow. Grow and look forward to serving one another. Become men and women of faith. If you look at your life right now and say, I don't think I could call myself a man of faith. Well, let's, let's go. Let's grow. Mature believers. Those other people that I just spoke to, they're looking to you to prepare them. Not just me. Not just me. If it's just me, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. We've talked about this before. I get to speak to you a couple times a week. The rest of the world talks to us all week long. We talk to ourselves all the time. And sometimes we give ourselves good counsel and sometimes not. We all need to work on this together. We need you. They need you. This world needs Jesus. There are people sitting in the rows in front of you, behind you, to your right, to your left, that you need to love. They need you to love them. There are children in our church and in our community who need to learn who Jesus truly is. Is it worth it? How could it not? There are teenagers in our church who need to know they are a valued, integral part of this family now. You don't become a, an important Christian when you get 18 years old. That's not how that works. And you don't turn into an adult when you blow out your candles on your 18th birthday cake. Bing! Magic. No. Progressive growth, right? There are college students who just need rides to church and who need to know that this church can be the place where they grow together with other college students. There are young parents who need encouragement to keep on keeping on when they aren't even sleeping. They're not getting enough sleep at night. They're still trying to figure out how to be married, let alone raise kids. There are middle-aged people who are struggling and frustrated with their careers. Or maybe they feel like they're just stuck in a rut in their faith. There are seniors who sometimes are wondering if anyone thinks they still have anything to offer. Maybe they just want someone to sit and talk with them for a while, just to spend time together. We could add all kinds of other things to that list, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm super pumped that we have all those age groups in our church. I think that's awesome. I think that is a sign of strength. It can be a thing that makes us very healthy. And may that always be true.
Listen, God has given us. God has designed and he has given us and instructed us to be in the community that we need to live life together, to grow together, to solve problems together, to save marriages together, to raise up a new generation together, and to reach the lost together, and any other thing you can think of. And that community, church, is you. It's you, church. It's the church. And you can look around and see these people and think of the others who will be here at 11, think of those who are watching from home. But these people are here to love you. To love you. And they need to be able to look across this room and see you sitting there where you are and be able to confidently think the same about you. So as we finish this letter, church, I'm giving you this charge. Okay, here's our final charge. Be watchful. Stay alert. If necessary, wake up. Stand firm in the faith. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is our Savior and Lord, and he's coming again. Be mature. Act like adults. If you aren't a spiritual adult yet, let's work on that. It's okay, but it won't be okay forever. <laughs> let's work on that. And be strengthened by others. Let other people build into your life. And church, let all that we do, all that we do, be done in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you first and foremost for your great love for us. We thank you for the wonderful truth uh, that you showed, your, you commended your love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, we thank you that this church has been alive. This church has been a gathering of followers of Christ since 1886. And God, so many things have happened in the world and in our country and in this community since then. And so many things are happening today. <laughs> and we don't know what all is going to happen between now and when Jesus comes and makes everything right. But we pray that in this time we would remember that Jesus is coming. That we would remember that you are sovereign. That we would remember that you've called us and you have saved us and you have put us together. Is that in the midst of all the chaos around us and maybe even the chaos within us, Lord, that we would rest in Jesus, in the truth of the gospel. Lord, we, that we would have victory over any anxieties and fears and concerns uh, through love. Loving you. Loving one another. God, strengthen us as a church. May we continue to grow in health. God, we thank you for the fruit that comes of that. And pray, Lord, that you would bless us in that way, that we would honor and glorify you as we follow you, as we follow Jesus. Use us for your glory. And God, we thank you that in that, 
that Jesus promised us that if we will keep his commands, our joy will be full. Lord, may we be a joyful, loving church that follows hard after you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.